following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. But I am excited to be here, back with my church family, and to begin something brand new today. Not only are we starting a new series this morning, but we're actually starting an entire new thematic thread. Um, If you've been hanging around at Artisan for a while, you remember that we did a a thematic thread a couple years ago called Beyond Our Walls, thinking about how we could live our faith outside of this building. Uh, And then last year's thematic thread um, was called Shaped by the Words, where we spent the whole year trying to think about uh, and talk about and pray about and sing about together how we can be shaped by the words of Scripture, how Scripture can not just be a rule book or something like that, but can be a transformative force in our lives. And our next thematic thread is about to start, and it's called Our Next Decade. Uh, As many of you know, we uh, are joyfully celebrating our 10th anniversary as a church this year. And I see some of you wearing the t-shirts. We had those printed at the beginning of the year. We had a big party. Uh, We reminisced. We shared pictures and stories and um, had a great time thinking about our first decade as a church together. And... uh, one of the foundational scriptures when we started Artisan um, actually ties in really well with awe. Psalm 118 it says, This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And it was fun to look back on this first decade of the church and think about all the things that the Lord did in our midst and how it was marvelous in our eyes. But we don't want to sit on our haunches, our laurels, or anything else. We want to think already about what are we going to do, what is, what is Artisan Church going to look like in our second decade as a church. And so for the rest of this calendar year, we're going to be thinking about our next decade as a church. And I've known for quite a while that this is where I wanted to go during this time, because I knew this would be a natural opportunity for us to pause and reflect and dream together about the future. But it took a little while to, to determine what shape this thread, this theme should take. And then it hit me. It's, it's not actually rocket science. There's, we don't need to reinvent the wheel in our second decade. We already have a way to frame what we're going to do in our second decade because it's the same thing that framed what we did in our first decade. <laughs> and that's our foundational values. Awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. What have we done? What do we always do when we have a tough decision to make as a church? For example, when we had to decide, are we going to stop being tenants and start being owners in this building, or are we going to go somewhere else and see what happens, let the chips fall where they may? That wasn't an easy decision to make. How did we decide to do what we did, which was to purchase the building? What do we say to people when they come to us and say, hey, what is the deal with artists and church? The answer to every question, uh, well, it's Jesus. We know that. Um, (laughs) But related to artisans specifically, (laughs) the way we answer those questions is to look at these foundational values that God placed on our hearts over a decade ago, and if we have a choice of two paths to take, we're always going to take the one that helps us live out these five values better than the other. So what we're going to do over the next several months is reaffirm these values that God placed on our hearts when we founded Artisan Church the values that have guided and shaped our life together for 10 years now, 
and the values that will guide and shape our lives together for the next 10 years and the next after that and the next after that. And I hope it's many decades. I hope that Artisan outlives me and you. Awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. And today we're going to spend uh, a little bit of time on awe. Now, actually, we're going to spend uh, a few weeks on each of these values over the next several months. Uh, and we'll talk as it unfolds about how that will shape out what the structure will be like. I don't want to spend any time with that right now. But we're going to talk about awe this morning, give you a little bit of an overview of this value, uh, what it means to us, and so forth. Awe is a word that doesn't come up very much in casual conversation. Now, I grew up in the 80s, uh, as many of you did, when the word awesome really took root in the vernacular uh, of American youth, right? And everything was awesome, right? This was even like pre-Lego movie, everything was awesome, right? <laughs> and it's one of those things where a word has a certain meaning, in this case, a, a grand meaning, a very big meaning, and then it becomes kind of part of cultural slang and all the meaning is drained out of it, right? So like you could say, those new shoes are awesome, um, but that's not really what the word means, right? So it has kind of lost some of its feeling. But if you think hard enough, you can get your mind around what awe means. And before we even talk about what it means to artisan, I want you to think about what awe means to you. Now, one of the things we're going to be doing uh, next week will involve, uh, this is the first time we've tried something like this, it will involve a live uh, kind of Twitter feed uh, publication of your comments. And so those of you who are Twitter users can participate in this exercise right now while I'm talking, if you're bored, um, or throughout the week, or next Sunday uh, when we come in and you see how it's happening, and hopefully you'll be able to kind of get that all incorporated in one way or the other. But uh, Artisan has a Twitter account, it's at Artisan Church. And what I'd like you to do is use a hashtag, um, hashtag artisan awe, right? Um, artisan awe. That will help us find it whether you use the, uh, um, when you t- tweet at Artisan Church or not, um, if you use the hashtag. And basically what we're asking you to do is share with us stories, pictures, anything that, um, that you think of when you think of the word awe. Any experience of awe that you have had. Autumn mentioned a minute ago that we've all had some experience of awe. Whatever it means to you, I would like to hear that. So you can tweet at Artisan Church uh, using the hashtag Artisan Awe, and um, that will become part of something that we do next week, which I won't talk about any further. I don't want to spoil the surprise. It's going to be really good, though. Do not miss church next week. That's all I can say. Um, So let me read to you the statement that we wrote uh, about this foundational value of awe. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can follow along if you're a visual learner as well. We humbly recognize the sovereign power, reverent mystery, and gracious wonder of God who is worthy of our worship and full devotion. Now, if you go to our website uh, and look at our About Us page, you'll see all five of our values along with our mission statement up there. And in every case, there's a, a list of scriptures that help support these things. So we didn't create these out of whole cloth. We didn't just write them uh, because we think that they were neat. We wrote them because we see them in scripture. They are quote-unquote biblical values. You know I don't like to use the Bible as an adjective, but in this case, these values derive from the scriptures. In fact, if we want to be shaped by the words, one of the ways that we can do that is to uh, embrace these values, which we see expressed so clearly in the scriptures. 
Um, there's a bunch of them under our statement of awe. You could look at all of them, use them devotionally as we go through the next few weeks talking about this value. I would encourage you to do that. But the one I want to focus on this morning, just one for now, is Hebrews 12, 18 through 29. So uh, if you brought a Bible with you, please open it up to Hebrews 12. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can uh, grab one of the red Bibles and find page 979. And while you're looking that up, I want to give you a little bit of a background about what we're going to read here. This is a letter written by, we're not sure, (laughs) somebody, some Christian leader in the early church wrote a letter to a particular group of Christians that we know as the Hebrews. It's the epistle to, the letter written to, the Hebrews. Uh, So what this means is that for this text, now this is true for many texts in the Bible, of course, but for this text, we are specifically aware of the fact that this is written to Jewish Christians. And what that means is that there would have been an assumption on the part of the author that the readers would have an entire shared religious, cultural, and political history. A collective consciousness, if you will. Now, much of that history is not collective for us, because we're 21st century Americans, most of us Gentiles, rather than 1st century Jews. But for these readers, these hearers of this letter, there would have been that shared story, the mythic accounts of creation, the calling of the patriarch Abram, which means noble father, who would later be renamed Abraham, father of many. And the story of the many, the story of Abraham's family, his history, which is full of miraculous pregnancies. It's also full of family feuds. It's full of deception and doubt and lies. And somehow in the midst of all of those stories, God's faithfulness in fulfilling his promise to Abraham that he would make Abraham's family great and that he would make that family a blessing to all the families of the earth. All of these shared stories would have been part of the collective consciousness of the Hebrew Christians and most important of all, the story of Moses who led these Hebrew Christians, the Israelites, out of slavery, out of captivity in Egypt, into the wilderness, and right to the brink of the promised land. And it's during this most important of stories, uh, the story of the Exodus, that the events that are remembered in Hebrew chapter 12, which we're about to read, took place. And the author of this letter recounts this story, which they all would have known, using their shared Jewish heritage to deepen their understanding of this new faith that they had, a realigned, Christ-centered faith. It's the story of Moses going to meet God on the mountain in Sinai. You could read about that in Exodus 19 if you want to do the background work. But many of you have heard this story already, and uh, if you've had, heard this story, if you've read this story, you know, as these Jewish Christians would have known, that it was a moment of great terror for the people when Moses went up to that mountain. The people had to spend three days consecrating themselves, getting ready before it even took place. And when Moses went up, they had to stay at home. They weren't allowed to come near the mountain, lest they die. Not even... Not even their animals could go near the mountain for fear of being burned up. 
and Moses went up, and Yahweh, the God of Israel, descended on the mountain in fire, so that the whole mountain was covered in smoke. So with the picture of that smoking mountain in our minds, let's look together at Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll read verses 18 through 29. He says, You have not come to something that can be touched. Now, let me pause very briefly here, because I'm not sure why they translated that something, because it means, the word is mountain. (laughs) You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even an animal touches the mountain, it shall be stoned to death. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But, now remember how important these little tiny words in Scripture can be. Because there are often hinges from one idea to another. He starts out by saying, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, a blazing fire, etc., etc. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Festal uh, means related to feast and festivals. It's a joyous occasion. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse the one who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks, by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and Ah, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. Indeed our God is a consuming fire. But we don't like to think of God that way, do we? We don't want God the consuming fire. We want the, oh my gentle Jesus, God. We want the good shepherd, the Lamb of God. We want the Prince of Peace. We want the God who lovingly welcomes little children and takes them in his arms. We want the God who weeps for all lost souls when he comes into Jerusalem. The one who gets up close and personal with the sick, with the outcasts, with the dejected. We want the God who teaches us to turn the other cheek. And yet here's this picture in Scripture in the book of Exodus, retold in Deuteronomy, and again in Hebrews 12, of a God of consuming fire who comes down on the mountain and covers the whole place with smoke. So then, which God do we worship? The one who bathes Mount Sinai in fire and smoke, or the one who willingly gave himself up on the cross 
The one who threatens that if you come near to the mountain, you'll be burned up and consumed? Or the one who answers the violence directed toward him with submission to the point of death and with the offer of forgiveness? Well, part of our statement in the value of awe speaks of reverent mystery, and I have a reverent mystery for you now. Here is one of the great mysteries of our faith. It's the same God. The same God spoke to Moses on Sinai that was nailed to a cross. How's that for a brain buster? (laughs) How do we make sense of that mystery? There seems to be such a difference between the God that we see in stories like Exodus 19 and the God that we see in the crucifixion account, for example. But I do think I have a way that we can make sense of it. Would you turn back in your Bibles? I hope they're still open. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 1. So just go backwards, 11, 10, 9, 12, you know, until you get to 1. You don't actually go to 12 after 9 if you go backwards, but... I love this verse. You've heard me preach on it recently. Hebrews chapter 1. This is the beginning of the letter that would later contain that story about Mount Sinai. Right? So here's, here's the beginning. Here's what he opens with. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world's. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. He is the reflection of God's glory. God's glory is seen on the mountain with the fire and the smoke, yes. But God's glory is seen even more in the face of his son Jesus. He is the exact imprint of God's very being. So if you ever want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus and that will tell you what God is like. This text, Hebrews chapter 1, first few verses, tell us that there is no greater or more accurate way to understand who God is than to look at his son. If you are confused about what God is like, look at Jesus. And you see the gentle, forgiving, dying on the cross God that we see in Jesus is made all the more remarkable by the fact that he's the same God who burned up the top of Mount Sinai. Because if the exact imprint of God's very nature is expressed in Jesus submitting to death on a cross... And you know that what he could have done was rain down fire on the entire city and fly away with the angels. How much more powerful does that make the sacrifice? The perfect icon of God submitted in the face of sin and violence to death on a cross rather than 
retaliating with bolts of lightning. See, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is like Jesus, not Zeus. Is that a, a controversial statement for me to make in a Christian church? That God is more like Jesus than, than, than Zeus? I almost said Zeus. <laughs> the Roman God of Zeus. <laughs> Sounds like something Eddie Izzard would say. Um, <laughs> yeah, my brain is still a little bit cooked from vacation, sorry. The God of Juice. I'll have to preach a sermon on that someday. <laughs> wow. Right in the middle of the most important point, too. That's how my brain goes. I am awestruck by the story of God on the mountain. I am awestruck by the story of Jesus on the cross. But what really strikes me with awe is that the fact that this is the same God. The second story becomes so much more poignant when you know that the first one is in your back pocket. Doesn't it? So yes, God is incomprehensible. Reverent mystery and all the rest of it. God is an all-consuming fire. Yes. But in the end, it is his love that is incomprehensible. It is his love that is a fire that consumes us. Let me read you one more text, and, I, and you don't have to turn to it. I'm not going to put it on the screen or anything. It's from Ephesians chapter 3. He says this, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Interesting, when we're talking about Abraham giving his name to all the families of the earth. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in what? In love. And hear this great, great statement of awe that follows. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the great incomprehensible mystery of God? It is his love. What is that which we can't possibly understand about God? It is how deep and wide and big and beautiful is his love. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Why? Because we are consumed by the fire of his love. Let me show you this statement of awe one more time. We humbly recognize the sovereign power, yes. The reverent mystery, yes. And the gracious wonder of God, yes. Who is worthy of our worship and full devotion. Why? Not because he could burn up a mountain, although he could. He is worthy of worship and full devotion because he chooses instead to consume and burn us up with self-sacrificial love. So let us join together in joyful, celebratory, festal prayer of thanksgiving. Our great God, God of majesty, almighty God, who spoke to Moses 
on the mountain in Sinai, but who spoke most clearly in the latter days through a son. We give you thanks and praise and we worship you with full devotion because your love has consumed us all. We pray that we would be able to grasp just a tiny piece of it because even that much would be enough to change our lives forever. We pray that we might be able to share with others just a tiny piece of it because even that much would change our world. Give us knowledge, give us courage, give us grace, and give us love that we can give all of those back to you, to our families, our friends, our neighbors, our cities, and our world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the exact imprint of God. Amen. Well, as we um, move toward the conclusion of our service this morning, I want to extend to you this festal celebration, this great feast of the church the sacrament of Holy Communion. And remembering that greatest expression of self-sacrificial love, that all-consuming fire of love on the cross, you can come to this table, any one of you, it's an open table, and receive into your bodies and into your souls the body and blood of Christ. Christians all around the world have done this forever, as long as we've been Worshiping God together as Christians, we have taken this sacrament together. In our particular setting, we do it by tearing off a piece of bread and dipping it in one of the cups. We have two stations here. Both stations have both wine and juice. Please choose the one that would be most appropriate for you and for your family. You can include your children in this if you'd like, or you can go and get your children after you're you're done taking communion if you'd like. Please do not think that you can't come to this table because you are not good enough, because you are not a member of the church, because you whatever... Jesus himself invites you to his table, uh, and it's my privilege as a pastor to join in that invitation and to open the table for you now. If you'd like to receive personalized prayer during this time, there'll be a member of the prayer team up here under this cross on the wall, and you can receive personalized prayer in that place. Um, if this is too much a mystery for you, if you are not sure that you would say you are a person who's following Jesus and trusting him with everything... Um, Now, note I didn't say you wouldn't say that you do a good job at it, because if you do a bad job at it, this is where you belong. (laughs) But if you're just not sure and and you're kind of in an observational mode right now, that's okay. We are glad you are here, and nobody will look askance at you if you decide to sit and think and meditate or pray or ponder. Um, But the table is open now. Let's continue to worship God in all these ways, however he may be speaking to your heart. Please do respond. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.